The other word I might use for this coming year alongside regeneration is really arrival. How are we sort of deciding to like show up to life again? Hello again. That was Bess Matassa, and she's a modern day mystic. And today we're talking astrology, like what's been going on, and also what invitations 2022 has on offer for us. Bess uses both astrology and tarot as languages that can help bring us back to the selves we already are. She also has a PhD, and I mention that because you can tell she brings that same academic and inquisitive lens to her mystical work, which is one of the reasons why I think I really resonate with her message. She feels very grounded to me. And you can tell she knows what she's talking about because I didn't hold back from throwing her all my random questions and she could handle them all. In this episode, we deep dive into the invitations that are available to us in the years ahead, but also so much more. Specifically, we touch on what on earth's been happening in the stars in the last two years. I mean, come on, some answers would be nice. What the moon cycles can offer us. What on earth retrogrades actually are. I can't even say that word, retrogrades. And how the elements of fate and free will interact with astrology. I love the way Bess talks about invitations. It makes astrology feel far less threatening to me, to be honest. We touch on it, but Bess is also running a 12-month immersive astrological experience for all of next year. And I mention that up front because if you are interested in it, you need to sign up for that by December 21st. Her website is thestarparlor.com, or you can also try bestmatasa.com. Goes to the same place. But let's launch in and talk about the cosmic year ahead. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Bess, thank you for joining me on Here to Thrive today. Thanks for having me, Kate. I'm really excited to get into it, into it all. I am really (laughs) excited to get into it. I feel like you are sitting on this like treasure trove of knowledge that I just want to pick your brain. So I am very grateful that uh, I get to pick your brain and we all get to learn. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting on an astrological egg and we're just going to crack it open and fry it up or (laughs) over easy or over easy, whatever your style is. (laughs) Sounds perfect. Talking about astrology, obviously we're going to dive in a little bit more around some of the the goings-on over the last little while today, but how did you start with astrology? Well, I was a little baby bean when it all began. I think I was like eight or nine years old when I had my first astrology book. I don't know how I got my hands on this, but I know that it was 
this classic astrological text called Parker's Astrology, and it's still in print now. I don't know what the edition looks like, the newest edition currently, but the one that I had when I was like nine was this amazing kind of full color, glossy experience of the 12 signs and the 12 sign archetypes. And I was just completely enamored. It looked like this treasure hunt of like, you know, what are the colors associated with each sign? And what are the tastes and the flavors and the different city locales? And it just became this language really early on that I used to sort of refract and kind of filter my experience through. And it just felt very natural to me. And tarot was came to me sort of the same way. And that's not to say that you have to be starting speaking these languages early to know them. I believe that they're accessible to everyone and that we all kind of speak them naturally. And it's just sort of a process of recovery. But that's how it all began for me. Coming back to the 12 signs, Those are the 12 signs I assume that we all kind of know. So when we're talking about astrologies, I'm a Cancer Leo Cusper. That's Mm. the, that's kind of, oh, look, interesting. Uh, (laughs) Those 12 signs are the signs we all know, I assume. We all know and love. Well, maybe we don't love all of them, but we learn to love them, I think. And I think one of the really important things when you're just starting out playing with astrology, obviously we have our sun sign, our zodiac sign, as most people know it. And then we have a whole birth chart that's beyond that. So you don't just have your sun sign, you have your moon sign, your mercury and beyond. But I think it's really important to remember that this this language is just made up of these 12 core archetypes, these 12 zodiac signs. So as we travel through the wheel of the year, we encounter each of these signs in Scorpio season or Capricorn season. And so we have this really like this offering both in our own birth chart, but also as time evolves to really try on each of these archetypes and to remember that they're each a part of us. In terms of the history of astrology, it's an ancient practice, is it not? Yeah, it's pretty ancient. (laughs) I'm really bad on sort of like chronology and historical context, but most people argue that astrology originated, I think, in Babylon. So we're talking many thousands of years ago, and there was kind of a spontaneous occurrence that happened across civilizations with regard to astrology. So even civilizations that weren't communicating with one another were grounded in these same archetypes and were sort of springing into the same universalized archetypal language. So it's, yeah, pretty, pretty darn ancient. <laughs> it's fascinating to me. I was reading a news article this week and it was talking about how during the pandemic, there has been an increased interest in things like astrology as people kind of search for answers. Have you noticed that over the last sort of year and a half, there has been more interest in this? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's for me, you know, I've I've had this language in my life for a long time and then I started practicing it professionally about a decade ago and similarly, I think a lot of people there was sort of a revival happening around that time, but definitely I can speak to the pandemic. Those first 6 months, I feel like me and all my astrologer and tarot reader friends were like inundated with people being like, what the fuck is my life? (laughs) Like reaching out for a reading or for mentorship and really just looking to expand into the unseen world because it's really about a connection to things that we can't see and can't prove and kind of being able to find faith in those. And I think a lot of people as the ground of some of their physical, tangible reality was sort of unmoored, especially around the start of the pandemic, these bigger existential questions were definitely coming through. 
Oh my gosh, yes. I feel like that's our perfect segue into into going like, what the fuck has been going on, Bess, in the <laughs> stars for the last two years? I mean, anything interesting? Well, <laughs> I don't want to create sort of like a correlative or a causal um, explanation for the pandemic in any way, you know, astrologically, but I can say that there have been certain astrological invitations around this time that I think are sort of interesting to think about on the collective level. And for me, one of the big ones has been, and not to get all jargony, if you don't know what these terms mean, just throw out the terms and stay with the sensation. But, you know, the planets Saturn and Jupiter have been doing this little shuffle into the sign of Aquarius, and they've been having little meet and greets, and, you know, those different planets have been meeting up in different ways. And I think the real energetic invitation collectively has been to really widen, to widen ourselves, you know, to see beyond the personal. And that's not to say to not be able to sort of grapple with our own personal existential struggles or healings or all of that. But Aquarius really widens the playing field. Each of these signs, we can talk about it having personality characteristics, but I think it's actually much more compelling and helpful to talk about it almost as an energetic current, something that we can kind of physicalize in our body. But there's this energy when Aquarius energy sort of enters the base of the collective where we have to kind of be able to kind of get panoptic or have a larger, more panoramic view of life. And it really expands us internally and expands us into the collective. And so I think there's been this kind of collective clearing that's happening. You know, the word clearing really resonates with the energy of Aquarius as well. And so we're really kind of reaching the end of the line. It's interesting. And I'm sure you and I will get into a little bit of the astrology of the coming year. But Aquarius is the penultimate sign. You know, in this sort of arc of the 12 signs, we start in Aries, we end in Pisces, and Aquarius is the 11th sign. So the next to last sign. And so as a collective, we're really like clearing out a particular way of being on a massive scale to beget this little baby bud beginning that we're going to have when we sort of start all over in the zodiac back in Aries. And so that's very large kind of generalistic level. That's what's been happening the past few years. Oh, I love the fact that you're like, we're in basically the 11th hour. I'm like, great, great. I'm so happy <laughs> to hear it. Yeah. You mentioned Aquarius there. And this is like my ignorance speaking, because I know nothing, but I feel like there's been a lot of discussion about the age of Aquarius. Is mm -hmm. there like a bigger view as well when it comes to kind of the the cosmic signs that we move through? And are there these longer periods? Yeah, there's a lot of debate around what we call the ages in astrology. There's a lot of sort of talk about what those ages are and the age of Aquarius, then leading into the age of Pisces. But there is some debate among astrologers or between astrologers about when the sort of next era begins. But yeah, I think you're speaking to sort of larger and different astrologers work on different scales. I have certain astrologer friends who are really about these like massive cycles of time. And I'm kind of a hyper personalized astrologer. So I'm really about kind of channeling these currents on the ground in our personal lives. But yeah, you're totally speaking to these larger kinds of errors that we experience sort of collectively as a human, human crew. As a human crew. Well, it does make sense to me if you're talking about like the energetic shifts and changes that we've been going through. If we look back at the pandemic, thinking about that expansiveness, because I think 
I know for me anyway, the pandemic was challenging. And I think within those challenges come insights, right? So that's kind of where we've been. So I am excited to pick your brain. Obviously, I know you have a book that is coming. Is it coming out or can we already get it? Well, you can already get it in the UK and I think Australia, New Zealand, and most of the rest of Europe. And then it should be available in the US and perhaps the rest of the world in late November. Uh, There's been some supply chain uh, concerns in the publishing world, as there have been in many other, you know, arenas. So but it should be late November. So we can we can order it and it will be delivered when it's available. And it's the Numinous Cosmic Year, your astrological almanac. I'm very excited to talk about this being 2022. What are some of the things that are showing up in the stars for next year? Yeah, so it was really kind of trippy writing this because, you know, as if you've ever written a text of this kind of nature, you need quite a bit of lead time to publish a book. So I was like in the throes of lockdown in New York City, early pandemic, sort of projecting myself into the year 2022 and speculating about what these these kinds of energetic shifts that were going to be coming through. And I think I want to say two things about the overall kind of feeling tone and experience of 2022. And the first is that our capacity, I think, for what I might call regeneration is really being highlighted and amplified. And what I mean by that is this willingness or this kind of internal readiness to turn things over, to kind of get on with it. And I don't mean that in a way of not acknowledging or grieving what's gone down or being sort of callous in our treatment of what's already unfolded, but our ability to really see ourselves as like life forces that just sort of turn over ourselves and cells and selves and sort of regenerate endlessly. And this is really tied for me to the shift in the eclipses that are going to be happening next year, aligned with what we call the nodal axis in astrology. And if you have no idea what that means, again, just throw out that term and just listen to the energy of it. And it's really this shift is into the axis in astrology um, called the Taurus-Scorpio axis. And if we look at these two signs, they're really about sort of tilling the earth, turning it over, and being able to trust in what we perceive to be absence or sort of the fallow parts of our experience when things are kind of getting composted and being able to trust that there's going to be a regenerative property on the other side. There's going to be another thing blooming on the other side. And so this is a big collective invitation for this coming year for 2022. And the second thing I'll say is that we're sort of finishing out this cycle with Jupiter that's been transiting through Aquarius, and then it's going to be sort of bopping back and forth in Pisces because of retrogrades, which I think we'll touch on in a little bit. But we're going to be entering, Jupiter's going to be entering the sign of Aries. So we're basically finishing out the zodiac, and we're being kind of like born again in this very expansive way. And so I think the other word I might use for this coming year alongside regeneration is really arrival. How are we sort of deciding to like show up to life again? And basically like this, not this, I mean, it's a certain strain of innocence, but it's innocence obviously on the other side of experience because we've been through so much individually, collectively, been like running through so much kind of content through our little bodies. But Aries is this little baby sign that just says like, 
again. Let's do it again. Let's get on with it. And so there is this kind of freshness, I think, to this coming year as well. And that depends a little bit on our readiness for that. And by readiness, it's not like we've got to like line up our date books and have a million, you know, start a million projects and really forge ahead. It's just like showing up in a body is enough and just being like, I'm still here. I'm available. Spirit, I'm available. Whatever you want to call spirit or divine or God or things that are beyond you. So those are my two little little treats, I would say, for now, for the for the coming year. It's really interesting because you use the word invitation and it brings me to that whole idea of we're a bunch of individuals. We all have different sun signs. Is there different ways that we turn up to sort of accept the energetic invitation? For me, these are both sort of natural unfoldings that happen. And also like we can decide how we want to kind of engage with them. It's not like the astrology is going to find us if we've like tucked under our beds and like pull us out from under the bed. It's like we kind of like dance where we step forward and meet the invitation. The invitation steps forward and meets us a little bit. But I think what you're speaking to around the sun signs, if you know nothing else about your birth chart and you're just starting with your sun sign energy, I think it can be really interesting to look at, okay, not to get too complicated about it, but if one of the invites of 2022 is to look at how you sort of begin again, or sort of show up again, or arrive, it can be interesting to think even just about your sun signs element and what that might look like to you. And so there's four elements in astrology and, you know, you don't need to have some complex, heady understanding of the four elements. You can just look all around you and, and feel what they are. You know, everybody knows what fire feels like. It heats, it creates a kind of will, a kind of potency. It sort of enlivens or brings to life. So it's like if you're a fire sign, really kind of starting this year, 2022, like really grounded in the seat of the self and what the self can express and where that kind of heat lives in you. If you're a water sign, the place of initiation might be more emotional. It might be more internal. It might be like, how can I bring something, sort of gestate something and then bring it from the inside out? It's air. It might be much more sort of spacious and this kind of communicative mental interplay with the world. Or if it's earth starting in the body and starting to sort of build something in the physicalized realm again. So I think we can kind of like start where we are and with just looking at the sun sign. I would love to talk more about free will and fate and astrology. What is there to say around that? I don't even know what question to ask, Bess. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I feel like we have this kind of, sometimes we get caught in this binary way of looking at these two principles, like it's either something's going to do something to us, you know, and move us or we're going to be the one to move the object. It's like, I'm going to take this cup and move it from here to here, or something is going to befall me in life and move me. And I think what astrology really offers us is a way to look at that liminal or in-between space between those two poles and say, okay, it's a dance. Like if you get into reading your birth chart, it's like, yeah, there's certain kinds of currents that run through you. There's certain a certain kind of topography of the birth chart. So if you go on, you know, a site like astro.com or there's plenty of free sites for generating your birth chart and you start to bop around kind of beyond just your sun sign and look at this crazy circle with all these lines running through it that is you, it's a map and like any map, 
there's certain limitations around what that topography is and what it needs and the kind of textures and weather currents that run through it. But it's also up to you to go out and like climb that particular mountain in it or like go sit by that stream or just like we would if we'd go on a trip and we get a map of the local area that we're going to explore. And so I think for me, that's really where astrology sits, this kind of intersection between what we kind of naturally are, sort of a certain wiring into our nature and the natural unfolding of us evolutionarily and, you know, what we're kind of available for. I mean, there's plenty of people that go through life and are like, I don't want to take that invitation. You know, I don't want to, I'm not ready for that particular kind of mode of development, or I don't want to go over there. And we all sort of arrive in our own time, I think, to parts of our birth chart. I mean, I've been working with my own chart since I was a little baby, you know, a little baby, well, not a baby, but you know, a baby, baby bud person. And there's parts of my chart that I wasn't ready to reckon with until I was 20 or 30 or 40. And so I think sort of trusting in the natural unfolding of it and trusting and sort of working that edge between basically kind of doing what we must or what we're called to on a very deep level and choosing that. I love it. I really am hearing we we have certain elements about us, but that doesn't mean basically we have no control over our destiny. Makes total sense to me. So we've got to meet the universe halfway. Yeah, exactly. I do want to talk about retrograde because I feel <laughs> like you see this and uh, if anyone's like on social media and stuff, I feel like in the last few years, everyone's been blaming retrograde for everything and anything. And I'm still sitting over here going, what the hell is retrograde <laughs> and why do I care about it best and how is it going to affect me? So can yeah. we just talk a little bit about the retrogrades and what's going on there, please? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, retrogrades are basically just, if you think about the metaphor that I always use is like, so every planet, just to break it down a little bit before we even get there, every planet, you know, is is moving through different signs at different times. So when you're born, if you're born in cancer season, when the sun is going through cancer, you have your sun in cancer, but the moon might be in something else and Mars and Saturn. So all these planets are kind of moving through the 12 sign archetypes at different rates of speed and different times of the year, they appear to kind of slow down and go backwards. And this is what we call retrograde. And there's all sorts of astronomy and kind of jargony stuff that's in the back end of this. But all I think all people really need to know is firstly, it happens to all planets and it happens quite frequently like what we call the outer planets in astrology, like planets like Uranus and Pluto. And although some people argue that Pluto is not a planet, but these forces are retrograde like half the year. So first of all, we've got to look at like, if this planet is experiencing this phenomenon up to half the year, it can't be scary. because <laughs> You know, then like life would be really fucking scary all the time, which I don't believe it is. I mean, it's certainly textured and has nuance in terms of its flavor. But Firstly, to just sort of demystify things, Mercury goes stations retrograde and appears to back up up to three times a year. These are these are things that are happening all the time. And so different astrologers have different kind of attitudes toward them. For But for me, like sometimes I'm not even really honestly paying all that much attention to when the really big kind of outer planets go retrograde because it's just happening so frequently. But the energetic invitation, I think, is really almost like if 
if when the planet is moving forward, we can almost imagine it as like somebody you know at school, in high school or grade school or whatever, where you know the person sort of like at school. And then when the planet goes retrograde, it's like you take them home after school. Maybe you have a slumber party with the planet. It's a much more sort of internalized experience of the planet's energy. It's a chance to sort of understand the kind of inner narratives that you have around that planet's ideas and principles. So to take Mercury for an example, Mercury is this sort of offering of people talk about it as sort of a communication planet. For me, it's sort of more than that. It's kind of a, a metabolic planet. It's how we sort of assimilate information and ex assimilate experience. And one of those ways, of course, is to take into in information and then to put out words. But metabolism happens on a lot of different levels. And so when Mercury is traveling retrograde, it's a chance to have kind of an internal converse, conversation maybe about old storylines, about beliefs that are sort of have been internalized, those kinds of offerings. And so we can look at any planet like that, Venus traveling retrograde, an offering around how we receive things, how we take in pleasure on a very internal level. Mars, maybe how when Mars is traveling forward or appearing to travel forward, you know, the offering is around kind of willpower in the external world. But once it slows down, we're asked to look at like what that force feels like inside of us. So it's just an inner experience of each planet. Oh, I like that interpretation. I mean, my mind's going straight to the psychological lens and I'm I'm thinking more of that sort of extroversion, introversion. So being out in the world or that in, inner world experience. Is, is it comparable? Yeah, I think that's a great comparison. Yeah, it's sort of externalized. And we're all doing that kind of dance all the time, right? Of sort of like out into the world and then kind of tucked in. And that kind of like, it almost puts me in the mind of like modern dance when you're doing like contraction and expansion with your chest. I used to do a lot of modern dance and there was like kind of making a C curve almost with your body to kind of take something in and then sort of expanding your chest outward. And I think it's a really good way to think also about our sun and moon signs, because if you're just getting started in astrology and you're looking to kind of move beyond the sun sign, for me, the next really important sign is the moon sign. And the moon is just that. It's sort of the internalized experience of ourselves. It's sort of our inner sanctum. And so it can be interesting to look at that interplay between your sun and your moon signs too, to look sort of where you are in your own kind of like metaphorical retrograde cycle. Are you looking to sort of tuck more into your moon sign, seek sort of comfort in this internalized way, or are you sort of out in the world, this more extroverted principle um, of the sun? I feel best like everyone's obsessed with Mercury retrograde. What's going on with Mercury retrograde? Yeah, I think there's been kind of this overcultural obsession with Mercury. And I think it speaks a lot to our obsession with certain forms of sort of technology and communication. And for me, as I was saying a little bit earlier, Mercury is not just this kind of mental realm where the buzzy sort of technological aspects of communication, but describes sort of a larger interplay between how we take in experiences from the world and assimilate them and then sort of what we put back into the world. But yeah, I think there's been also kind of like a blame. It's shifting, I think, uh, as people become a little bit more astrologically savvy, but there has been this feeling of like, I need something to sort of hang my astrological blame on when things get interrupted or sort of go wrong or, you know, what have you. And I think in some ways the pandemic has really powerfully interrupted some of our understandings, uh, you know, over culturally about Mercury retrograde, because really it's just a subtle 
moment for a recalibration around the relationship between the inside and the outside. If we look at any planet traveling retrograde as, as kind of that, metaphorically speaking, more broadly, that calibration between inner and outer, it's really at its core expression in Mercury because Mercury is this, I mean, even if you think about the substance, Mercury, and sort of changing and kind of mutating, this is the energy of the breath. It's the planet that rules Gemini, the signs of Gemini and Virgo in astrology. Each you know zodiac sign has a planetary ruler. And Gemini energy is really concerned with that kind of threshold between what I bring out into the world and then what I take back in and assimilate. And so it's been a kind of obsession as we've readjusted our understanding, I think, of what it means to kind of like partner with the outside world and how I kind of step forward and then how I accept information in and assimilate. And is also a really powerful invitation to kind of shift from an astrological blame feeling. Again, this kind of like heavily relying on fate, like, oh my God, Mercury is going to come and like fuck my shit up basically to like being able to be available to just look at that calibration, to look at where that inner outer balance is in a, in a particular Mercury retrograde cycle for you and kind of invite you into that calibration. I like the sound of that. Like you said, rather than looking for how it's going to come and fuck your shit up, basically, <laughs> basically meeting, meeting the universe and, and standing up and playing your part too. Yeah. Waxing and waning moons. Okay. <laughs> like I'm just sitting here going, can we have a definition? I'm, I'm, I mean, I look at the moon and I see it's doing different things, but what has this got to do with anything? I mean, it's, you can be, I mean, we can get very poetic and nuanced about it, but we can also get really literal and kind of physicalized about it. When the moon is waxing, it's getting fatter, you know, it's amplifying. And when the moon is waning, it's sort of tucking in. And so again, like, just like all of life, this kind of moments where we kind of come out and these moments when we kind of contract and tuck in, it's the exact same cycle in the moon. So as the moon is waxing, vaxing, um, also vaxing, <laughs> important PSA for things are amplifying, things are getting juicier, things are kind of coming to fruition and coming to their fullness, you know, because the, the waxing cycle runs from the new moon when the moon is just a little babe up until the full moon when it's at its juiciest. And then the waning cycle is from the maximum fullness of the moon to growing down again and kind of backing away so it can birth a new cycle. And so just really largely, if it feels resonant for people, and not everybody's super lunar, some people are kind of more tapped into that than others, but there is an offering as the moon gets fatter to like fatten up, you know, fatten up your plans, like kind of come out into the world, like juice things up in that way. And then when it wanes, and again, we all have different orientations, but there is sort of a sensation of maybe tucking in, in a little bit more, maybe letting things kind of dissolve a little bit. That I have never really understood the whole moon cycle thing and how to use that. So that was a really simple explanation. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> that makes sense to me. Yeah. That leads me to... Thinking of 2022 and beyond, and obviously the book you've done with the Numinous is really part planner, is it not? Yeah, so it's there's elements of it that are what I would call evergreen. So there's sort of year-on-year -year offerings that are really intended to 
demystify a little bit this kind of form of astrology where we're constantly like in a panic being like, what is the moon doing today? What's the aspect of Saturn? You know, what am I supposed to do on, you know, Tuesday, the 27th at 5 p.m.? And kind of move us into what I call the feeling tones of each month. So, you know, each month has a kind of tone year on year that is led by the astrological sign that kind of beckons us into it. So January is marked by the energy of Capricorn. February is marked by the energy of Aquarius. And these things happen really year on year as offerings for us to really understand these multifaceted 12 archetypes, which are these universalized energies that all of us contain. And then there's an aspect to the book also that's really kind of drilled down into the offerings of 2022. So touches on the moon cycle of each month, different retrogrades that are happening, and different ways that each of the science can kind of engage those energies month on month, including kind of playful suggestions for activating them through color, for through taste, through flavor, scent, things of that nature. And we'll say too that I'm going to be starting. It's not it's not exactly like intended to have the almanac as the companion to it, but I am going to be offering a 12-month astrology and tarot kind of immersive educational experience. For some reason, I can't bring myself to call it a course. I don't know why, (laughs) but it's an immersive educational experience um, that's starting in January that's really intended to kind of be this complete collection of all signs, planets, houses, and astrology, as well as tarot cards, because each of these 12 sign archetypes, like rolls up all this material under it. So I'll just give an example, like Capricorn, which leads us into January, every little bit, hecky bit of astrology, like attaches itself as kind of its parent has as its parent, one of the 12 signs. So Capricorn is then related to the planet Saturn and what we call the 10th house in astrology. And then in tarot, it has all of these cards that are associated with it, different cards in the pentacle suit and the queen of pentacles, the, the world card in the major arcana. So it's going to be this sort of like, if you think about it as almost your study abroad, where you learn to just go and speak a language in the natural everyday scenarios of it, it's going to, the the immersive is going to follow the months of the calendar year. And each month we'll be looking at the cards and the houses and the planets associated with that particular sign as a way to amplify our fluency of this language. But yeah, the the book is part, uh, part planner for 2022. And part and evergreen planner for the rest of your life on earth. <laughs> so. ah, I really like the way you're referring to astrology as a language because I am seeing just the way you talk about it, Bess, it's really just a tool that can help you give context to where you are and help with this kind of self-exploration is what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think too, and it, it might be sort of a leap if you're first starting to learn, but the same way that if you learned language, you would learn what to call, you know, what would I call a cup in Spanish or Arabic or what have you. And the same is true of astrology. Like astrology is not a language that's like out there and extracted from life on earth. You know, you can play with different experiences you're having or a person you meet or a color that you see on the street and be like, what would I call that in astrology? You know, would I call that Saturn? Would I call that Mercury? Would I call that Taurus? And really start to kind of amplify your fluency with these languages that aren't apart from us in any way. They're just another way of another lens view of interpreting the world, just like sciences or religion or psychology or art, all of these kind of interpretive lenses. I'm fascinated because my mind is just like, whoa, 
how can we actually use astrology when we're thinking about 2022 and your book? How can we use parts of astrology to help inform or plan our lives? Yeah, so I think it's really, it's almost like thinking and and really starting depending on your level of engagement with the language. But if you're just starting out, thinking about trying on, it's almost like as if you would go to visit a certain country, eat a certain type of cuisine or whatever that kind of experience metaphor is where you would go out into the world and try something on, maybe it's slipping into a certain, a certain kind of clothing, like really starting by looking, I think, at the astrological seasons, at Capricorn season, when the sun's moving through Capricorn, at Taurus season, when the sun's moving through Taurus, these 12 kind of months of the year that we travel through, and just starting there and saying like, what can I glean about this science energy? We all have, again, like, even if you don't have planets, quote unquote, in your chart in that particular sign, you definitely have that sign in you. Like we're all on this journey to integrate these 12 archetypes. So even starting there and saying, okay, what's the sort of feeling tone of that experience of Taurus? Okay. It's this moment of like, ripening and things getting really sort of abundant and spilling over and being able to trust in worthiness and being able to trust in kind of an anti-scarcity mentality. Okay, if that's sort of the offering for this particular swath of the month of May, how can I kind of step into the skin or slip into the the kind of the tone of that and starting there, starting kind of broadly with the months before you sort of drill down into the days, the weeks, the hours, all of this, I think really remembering. And even if you, if that feels really overwhelming, starting with the four elements and saying, okay, like Taurus season, it's an earth month. What does that mean for me? What is the ground in which I stand right now? How am I tending to the physical body? What am I feeding myself metaphorically and literally in this moment? And starting to kind of dial it back into the elements too can really just help us kind of relax into the rhythm of like, okay, there are certain months or times of the year where I might feel really estranged from that science energy that feels really kind of beyond me. And what would it mean to just sort of invite that in a little bit or court that different part of human experience during that time? That makes it all feel a lot less overwhelming to just sort of go into the idea that we can immerse ourselves in the themes and the energies that are available to us at certain periods and certain months. I, I get it. Yeah, I think it's a way to to also remember that I don't really, I mean, I'm a professional full-time astrologer and I don't really use astrology on kind of a micro plane where I'm looking at every minute of the day to be like, oh my God, you know, and then this is happening, then this is happening. I'm really sort of like opening for the most part to these these kind of wider currents. I think there's a way that we can kind of, it's a whole other conversation, but I think that there's a lot of reasons behind sort of like the overcomplication of astrology and not to say that it isn't a very complex and nuanced and intricate language and you can go super, super deep and super layered. But I think also remembering that it's just the basics of all of life, earth, air, fire, water. It's already all around us. Wrapping up today, Bess, I feel like I, one, I feel like you've answered a lot of my questions that I've just had there around like new moons and retrogrades. And I'm really grateful that I now feel a little bit wiser. What are some sort of key things that you would say a newbie could look at moving out of today's conversation to get them started? Really, the first thing is looking, if you're looking, wanting to look at your own astrological birth chart, which I think most people are, most people are interested, obviously, in what this means for them and the specifics of their inner landscape, but really starting with 
those elements again and looking if you only know your sun sign, you know, kind of connecting maybe to the element of that sign and then building up to what we call in astrology or maybe what some people call the big three, which is your sun sign, your moon sign and your rising sign. And that kind of trinity really describes what the hell is actually happening here? Like, what is the story of this life? You know, what kind of hero are you becoming? This is symbolized by the sun sign. This is your your kind of mission. You're unfolding toward your individual destiny. And then the moon sign, this kind of internalized landscape, this how you get your needs met, all of the things that we use to sort of moor ourselves, you know, in time and space. And then the rising is like the adventure. It's like the the offering of like what the almost like what the genre of the story is. Is it a, you know, is it a mystery? Is it a romance? These kinds of things. And just starting to really look at that trinity. And even if you don't know what those placements mean or how they interact with one another, just saying like, what's maybe my dominant element? You have two of those three in fire and one in earth, you know, maybe looking to the fire idea and kind of steeping yourself in that a little bit. If you have one of each, you know, you get to sort of go, well, you won't have one of each because you'll be missing the fourth, but maybe it's also inquiring around what's not the dominant element or what's not as much represented there and kind of inviting that in and really starting there. And then alongside that sort of study of the personal chart saying, okay, using those 12 sign archetypes, the 12 seasons of the year to just sort of tap in, tap in with that energy and be like, okay, what do I know about Gemini? Is that a sign that's one of my big three? No. Is there, are there people in my life that I know that feel like they can to that energy. Okay. You know, how can I, I sort of school myself in that? And it's also fun. It might be a little bit more advanced, but it can also be fun to play with the moon cycle because each month the moon moves through all 12 signs, three, two, two and a half days. And so it can be fun to kind of try those energies on and even sort of track a little maybe inner chart of like, how am I feeling today? And then sort of checking in with the moon sign and seeing if there's sort of patterns that happen for you. Is it that every time the moon's in Sagittarius each month, there's like a lot coming up for you and a lot of kind of matter to explore, or you feel really tweaky and strange every time the moon's in Pisces and starting to kind of track your own inner cycles as they coincide with the external through the moon cycle, I think can be compelling. If you were just to leave us with one thought today, what would it possibly be? (laughs) I think I'd just say that these energies are already alive and well within you. Also being really attuned to what you know to be true. You're learning about astrology, kind of trying that on for size in your own life and really using it as a process of recovery of deeper inner knowings. You're invited. I love the idea that the astrological elements really open these invitations to us, but it's up to us how we interact with that. Bess has her new book, The Numinous Cosmic Year, that is available now wherever you get your books. And I can confirm it is on Amazon in the United States now. I also mentioned that she's running that immersive astrological experience slash course next year but you do need to sign up for that by December 21st if you're interested and you can do that over at her website at thestarparlor.com you can also work one-on-one with Bess and you will find all of the details over there at thestarparlor.com you can also find it in the show notes which is at heretothrive.com forward slash podcast 155 
I've got a couple more episodes for you before the end of the year. Next week, I have Andrea Owen, and we're discussing how we can find our voices and make some noise. Coming to the end of the year, it's always a great time for reflection, I feel, as well. And what I like to think of as intention setting or really just connecting with the energy we want to embody in the coming year. I have a tool that I use with my clients and use for myself over at heretothrive.com forward slash sign up. You can get a life planning and reflection guide there for free. All right, beautiful people. If you are enjoying the show being back, it would mean a lot to me if you could write a positive review and leave five stars over wherever you listen, because that does help the show get seen. And it's nice to know you're there. So thank you so much for being here. Until we meet again next week, keep thriving, beautiful people. Keep thriving.